0: It is Tuesday, March the twenty-sixth. I am sitting down with Ari Shapiro, Blue Jays baseball political deep thinker.
1: Mm. I'm not gonna fit that on a business card. Anymore. No, you
0: are not. And uh, we've got a we've got a brand new location. Previous to this, we have sat down mostly. Right. In uh, the Pacific Junction Hotel. Love that place. And uh, which is no more, unfortunately. And loved so, that place. Yes, loved that place. But we're here in a really cool space up in, this is
1: what, Vaughn? This Woodbridge. Woodbridge. Woodbridge, yeah. And um, what's the name of this place? Porcello Cantina. It's a nice little Italian bistro slash pub haunt right off of uh, 407. I figured this would be a good place for us to chillax and have some of this great, delicious margarita pizza we've been enjoying. Well,
0: listen, thanks so much for inviting me up here. My pleasure. Thanks again for your time. Mm. Um, Obviously, we are going to talk baseball. We are going to talk our Toronto Blue Jays uh, and everything
1: in between. Is that what we do? I guess that's that's what we do. That's
0: what we're going to do right now. Because for the past hour we've been talking about everything else. (laughs) That's true,
1: and not only that, I I really sometimes wish you would have met me like in 2014, and then we could have done Blue Jay previews to really exciting. Mind you, a preview of the 2015 season probably wouldn't have been as good as you think. No. No. No.
0: We wouldn't. Who would have thought? Yeah. Where 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 could The irony is not lost. No, absolutely. Um, So I mean, there's there's tons of things that have been happening, um, or tons of things that did happen over the off season lots of things that we can talk about, um, and in really in no uh, particular order. Manny Machado's with the Padres, Bryce Harper is with the Phillies, and Mike Trout will foreseeably be an angel for the rest of his career. Um, All of them signed uh, for money where their families and their families' families should not have to worry uh, about... Buying a house or buying a car or going to university.
1: Or buying a jet.
0: Or buying a jet.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, there's... What's but, really... What's, isn't it interesting, though, that you're, you just named two players that have literally the weight of the world on them? Three players. I mean, well, Mike Trout will always be great. I have yeah. no worries about Mike Trout being great until okay. the age of, like, 48. He's a well-conditioned, emotionally balanced human being. And you have to consider that Frickin when you look at players... Fun in their mid to late 20s, who get these kind of contracts. Mm. And in the case of Harper, a yeah. binding contract that keeps him safe and warm and cuddly in the same market yeah. for longer than a decade. I yeah. mean, think about that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. I do, Will they do well? I, I would assume that they would, but you can imagine what happens in the case of both the Padres organization well, and the Phillies if they don't deliver almost right away.
0: Well, I think the question I want to ask you is not like... Are the, are these good signings, and how are they going to do? Because I, I could care, I could care less how they do as baseball players on their particular teams. What I'm really interested in is why did it take so long for arguably two of the top players in the game to be to be signed, really until the the end of the free agency period? Like why did why is it taking so long? And, why, and, and we're seeing it, not just with those two, but Donaldson signed for one year. Um, there's a lot of players that have to, quote-unquote, prove themselves all over again. Um, is it just because these players are in their late 20s, early 30s? Like what's, what is happening with free agency over the past few years that we had never seen before?
1: I think we should commission like a 12-part kanji <laughs> podcast miniseries because that's what it would take to really fully illustrate yeah. how baseball free agency went from being something that was inherently competitive, mm-hmm. dictated by a market that found a way to reward the overachievers, yeah. still keep the underachievers around, yeah, and, and have a general fairness to it because that fairness is gone. Baseball economics, to me, are a symptom of some of the biggest problems in the world today when it comes to how polarized we are. Uh, Simply put, and succinctly for those who don't want a long-winded answer, because I could give you a really long-winded answer on this subject, especially because I feel very strongly about it, being someone who admired the great Marvin Miller, who basically in the late 60s, along with Kurt Flood, found a way to have baseball finally take responsibility
0: for Mm -hmm. looking
1: after the players. Yeah. Because look, at the heart of baseball are the players. Why, why do you go to a baseball game with your family? Yeah, you It's see to the see players. the players, yeah. right? It's because your son might be a fan of Josh Donaldson. Sure. Or your daughter could be a fan of Marcus Stroman. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But one thing is for certain that when the players and the so-called stars in this game, as you mentioned, are being signed late, are being marginalized in their income earning capacity, are having to see these social media battles most notably with Marcus Stroman, where clearly there is a dissatisfaction in the way they're being compensated and treated. The system right now is simply put, it's broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Clark, the head of the MLBPA, has done an, a a really piss poor job of looking after the interests wow. of his union. No, it's it's true. Did it's, do you, do you think it,
0: Do you think so? In the Athletic. I don't know if it was published today or this, probably published this past week. They they polled a number of players. 40% of players that they polled believe that there's collusion going on.
1: <laughs> think about that. That's a staggeringly high number. It's very high. Um, and there is collusion going on. I think at this stage, trying to justify what's happening and not use the word collusion is, <laughs> is to me just as disingenuous as, as looking at the Mueller report and saying there isn't signs of legitimate criminality. Because to me, the definition of criminal behavior is when you start taking advantage of a system and you use the very essence of that system to railroad the most important cog in the wheel. So you can tell I'm pro player. Mm-hmm. I'm only pro player, sure. because to me, that's how I fell in love with baseball. And because we're seeing this labor strife, I think it really, it doesn't bode well for the game. I think we will see a work stoppage unless Tony Clark and his his minions, if you will, the people that do his bidding and presumably brokering a solid, healthy relationship with uh, with Rob Manfred and, and the league. I mean, mm-hmm. the league really is in the driver's seat in a way that we haven't seen in years. Yeah. And here at home with the Blue Jays, their very existence and how they've run their business in the last few years has been a microcosm of baseball's failings, mm. of, of seeing... Uh, an organization not invest in their team because the fans want it to be done but because they're justifying it for economic reasons and in the process alienating their fans by not signing the players they want to sign and i'm not using the puerile argument sure, of, sure, sure, oh yeah you know you shouldn't listen to the fans obviously they're not the baseball executives i trust a baseball executive especially a two-time baseball executive of the year But at the same token, (laughs) I question his motive Mm. when he doesn't go out and take advantage of a free agent market that for the second consecutive year had all sorts of low-hanging fruit like in an orchard. You could have walked into the free agent market in baseball and pulled out one, two, three different position players, pitchers, relief pitchers, and the Blue Jays, rather than doing that, decided to play it with full austerity, with a certain frugality that I haven't seen and normally would attribute to expansion-type teams. Mm. And this is definitely not the case when you're talking about a market that gave birth to a team in 1977. That is so that is so, so that, true. that's a microcosm of why things have really gotten bad, and uh, it, it doesn't look good. You know, it's uh, it, it's something that I think uh, we'll see... Oh, put it this way. The, the Machado and Harper contracts, you'll never see again. You will never see those kind of really? contracts again. No, because what I think what we're seeing that's so abnormal about these long-term contracts is that they're in some ways they're helping address the fact that if you make these kinds of contracts you give other players hope that they can one day get these contracts but i think this year it was more of a sop by by both padres the padres and the phillies to say you know what we're not going to see generational guys like this ever become available again. Why? Because we are going to have more control over young players, and when they hit 26, we're going to lock them up well before they even hit free agency. So similar see, to what the Angels did with Trout. Precisely. Uh, Trout, Trout obviously would have had his pick of the litter. He could have gone anywhere, yeah. and probably even picked up a, a more in the long run. But in his case, he happens to love where he works. Yeah. And as the best player in baseball, I can't believe I'm saying that. The best. Player in baseball is very much like a Wayne Gretzky right now, just doing his own thing. But don't be surprised if one day something would change, right? Because mm. even though you've got these long-term deals that you're going to be with your team presumably forever, Sure.
0: Things change. Human nature kicks yeah. in, right?
1: And sometimes you just don't get along.
0: And yeah, when you, you don't get have.
1: along and you don't get things done properly, you've got to make big moves. But we're not going to see these kind of contracts again. Nor will we continue to see... These last-minute deals like the one that DeGrom just got with the New York Mets. Mm. These pressurized deals where the fans cry outrage and say, please sign him up long-term. I and just, the
0: players th- cry too. Of course they do. Right? There's
1: still many of them who
0: are Like unemployed. Thor was very angry.
1: Thor was angry because he's, he's looking after his buddy the mm. way I would look after you if you and I were part of sure, the same but, industry. Yeah. And I felt that you weren't getting paid what you deserve. Because Thor knows, just like every other baseball player, that... Tomorrow, something could happen, and you can no longer play this game. You might have vision issues. Your arm, something might tweak in your arm. Something happens to your hamstring, like Donaldson for a couple of years there. And when you start losing playing time because of injury, like so many of the Blue Jays players have, mm. you lose your ability to get the kind of deals you feel you deserve. Yeah. And then you start settling. And that's what changes the standards of the game, when players start settling. It's something that Marvin Miller wished would never happen because he figured, hey, As inflation goes up and the value of these franchises goes up, then there'll be more money for the players. Well, guess what? Profit's going up, but now there's less money for the unemployed players. And that is something that is fundamentally wrong with the game.
0: What are your thoughts on these advanced metrics that are are now very popular, not just with media, but with teams on evaluating players? And I bring this up because it seems now that there's an age limit that once you hit 30, 32 maybe, i don't know what that number is, but once you hit that number it's like okay, you're like there's diminishing returns. Like there's there's never been a case where someone has gotten better, you know, after the age of 32. So why should we be rewarding you with a massive free agent contract? Um, And so I'm I'm curious whether these advanced metrics, as much as that they've helped identify talent, they've also uh, done the reverse, where they've identified no talent.
1: It's a bloody double-edged sword is what it is. Yeah. Because on one hand, having sabermetrics and advanced analytics to quantify a a player's value it, it certainly helps the fan understand where the value is in terms of organizational spending. And that's what Moneyball was all about, spending a very limited amount of money properly. Yeah. And, of course, with the Bostons and the L.A.s and the New Yorks, it doesn't, it doesn't count because they'll just spend anyways. And if they don't like the fact that you're a Pablo Sandoval and you no longer have mobility, they'll cut you. They'll pay you and you'll go. In the case of the Blue Jays, if they don't like you, they'll pay your entire salary for next year, which in itself is atrocious right I mean Russell Martin I think will, will make 16 million dollars paid by the Blue Jays and Troy Tolitsky will make 20 million how absurd is that how absurd that even though there were those metrics that that they could look at and say well we could easily replace this player they use that to justify getting rid of fan favorites veteran veteran presence in particular now we can debate what that value is and I'd, I'd rather not do that everybody's got a different opinion about veteran stewardship and influence in the clubhouse but in terms of understanding what it's done to the players look um one of my favorite blue jays that i've interviewed before homer bush lost his ability to have gainful employment at the major league level because of sabermetrics because he simply couldn't get on base enough and and that's what organizations presumably like the blue jeans value most how ironic then that they presumably. have so many presu- well how ironic then that they have so many players who are under 300 on base percentage and projected to be so like we, we can't ignore that reality that it, it it shows us where the value is but it shows us also where organizations place their faith that is, is in some cases utterly misguided and after the last two years of baseball in toronto underachievement has been the biggest culprit. It hasn't been injuries, I'm sorry to say, and it hasn't been the personnel moves. It hasn't been criticizing Mark Shapiro for zigging when he should have zagged. It's been the players that he banked on to be there woefully underperforming. Like, I'm very sympathetic to the argument of having to keep a Josh Donaldson, a Russell Martin, a Troy Tulewitzki, but look what they did over the last two to three years. Look what they did coming out of those back-to-back playoff years And how they, along with so many other players that the team relied on, failed to perform. And the biggest head cases are are both Aaron Sanchez and Marcus Stroman. Like, if those two this year can find a way to put together 150 to 180 innings, God forbid even 200. And I I refuse to entertain that because they've shown they can't do that. But if they can put together 30 to 35 quality starts, the Blue Jays will be a team worth watching because they'll at least be competing not so much against the upper echelon of the league, but, you know, the, the, the middling teams, the teams out there that like the Tampa Bay Rays are, are already ahead of the Blue Jays but doing their best to, to stay ahead. And the Blue Jays can close that gap if they have players who simply do their jobs because that's what hurt the way athletes are compensated in baseball because you're, you're giving them these big arbitration contracts. They feel they deserve more, but then they don't go out and do their job. Right? Like, Marcus Stroman should be on a long-term contract making 15 to $18 million a year, potentially. Because we've seen he can pitch well, but he can't do it consistently. And organizations are scared to commit to someone who will be taking every second year off in terms of performance. But they,
0: they weren't scared before. Are, there, are, they, are they becoming smarter and better stewards of ownership's money? They become
1: exploited, Kareem. they become exploited, because the Blue Jays can keep simply throwing an arbitration decision in the face of the athlete every year. Some years the athlete triumphs. Some year the years the athlete loses. But the residual damage is enormous, especially when it comes to the way the player looks at the relationship with the team. And I think that's what hurt Marcus. I think th- I mean, Scott Boris hurt Sanchez because Boris would never let him sign prematurely. But Aaron's done no favors because there's blister problems. Um, it's a lot easier to invest in younger players and just simply control them and then worry about what happens when they're 26 than going out and signing a 28-year-old to a long-term contract whose best years might be behind him. You see, it's like gambling on stocks for these teams. You know, They're, they're, they're jockeying for position. But when you're not playing... You know, 80% of the available market, when you have 100 unemployed stocks, if you will, in the market, what kind of stock market do you have? Like, really, between the collusion and the manipulation of the way these athletes are being compensated, that's why there will be a strike. I mean, that's the one thing about unions. Love them or hate them. Whether you're left or right in this country, you can't piss them off. You just can't. I don't care if they're teachers or firefighters or baseball players. You have to have a good temperament, a good relationship with them to communicate effectively. Because if the animosity starts, you end up getting these ridiculous models like free agency where nobody signs free agents. In which case, what are you doing? Why are you wasting everyone else's time? honestly as an organization trying to say you're trying to get better and then only selling young prospects that yourself have either I mean international signings is what killed it first and foremost the fact that I can go to Cuba pluck out a young impressionable 13 year old like Tony Fernandez if I went to the Dominican give him a bonus wait for him to grow up like Vlad and the next thing you know I've got him for six years of major league control then if he's already starting to slow down has potential weight issues and can't hit 40 home runs anyway no team is going to go ahead and give him a long-term contract. I can just give him a one- to two-year extension. That's where the game is heading right now. That's why Josh Donaldson was able to get a one-year $23 million contract instead of three or four years at about 17 or $20 million to be more comfortable. Alex loves him, but he's not stupid. He's not crazy. And his GM friends would never forgive him if he signed a player that's been dubious on the health front to a long-term contract. So a lot of things at play.
0: Let's talk a little bit about. Well, um, let, let me let me ask you this, uh, Marcus Stroman. Not as a player, but he talked about um, needing and wanting and getting angry that there weren't more um, veteran voices, veteran players in the clubhouse, and desiring that valuable mix. And you talked about um, the contributions. Uh, of a Troy Tulowitzki, of a Russell Martin, of a Josh Donaldson. Um, not so much on the field, but the, the veteran presence that they could provide and establish within a clubhouse. Does Marcus Stroman have a point?
1: Try to consider what it takes to triumph and capture a World Series or win some kind of sports championship, right? You, you clearly need the presence in the locker room. You need people who understand the value of winning and who can teach through leading by example what they're capable of doing. And in Russell Martin, Troy Tilowitzki and Josh Donaldson, you, you had this wealth of intangibles when it comes to setting an example. The problem is that all three players had been so inconsistent, so injury prone, that management justified that it was easier to pay them to go away and to not resign them at what they wanted. I mean, obviously, Josh Donaldson is not going to come back here unless you give him $23 million. Otherwise, why wouldn't he go to the Atlanta Braves? I think we forgot in the process of all three of these athletes the reality that none of them have won a World Series yet. And they're hungry to do so and that obviously factored in their thinking why would they stay with the rebuilding team i mean look at the blue jays lineup this year look at their starting rotation it would almost be beneath them and i'm not saying that there's hubris involved although in the case of troy Tulowitzki, he's always had a chip on his shoulder the guy's a world-class athlete in his own mind and for most of his career he's proven that same thing with russell who's gone to the playoffs i think nine or ten times in his career and josh who was the kingpin of the blue jays renaissance to credibility to legitimacy but put yourself in their shoes would you want to stay with this team i'm sure the blue jays i'm sure mark shapiro and ross atkins sat down with all three and said look we have a lot of promising things coming up but we have to build from the ground up again because the way we're structured right now if we rely on everybody to... I mean, imagine if all three of those guys came back. Would it be a real difference in the way you'd project the number of wins or, or how successful they'd be? No, no. ESPN and company would still have them ranked. Yeah. You know, Sportsnet and DSN would be throwing the hype, but only from a perspective of, hey, if a lot of things go right, we'll have a great year. Mark didn't want to do Every, that anymore. If everything if, goes literally, right. <laughs> literally, if everything goes right, yeah. you know? and And I think that's what contributed to that happening. But, you know... If, to your original question, you need that. And they certainly took away, they subtracted a lot. At least they have my good friend and yours, Kendris Morales, whom I will always respect because he at least has a World Series ring. And he's a bona fide champ. You can't can't ignore that. It doesn't get talked about a lot in the narrative. People are usually beating him up for the fact that he Doesn't have wheels and his best days are behind him, and that, you know, jokingly, he might be a great, like, 12th reliever if they need him in a pinch in a blowout game. But there's no question that his veteran leadership will be valued by Montoya. Yeah. And, you know, you've got a couple of other guys still there who can talk about the glory days. The good old days? The the good old days of when the Blue Jays started going back to the playoffs after 22 years. Kevin Pilar? You know, you've got Pilar, you've got Smoke. That's right. You know, and obviously Marcus and Aaron. But it is sad, though, isn't it, that those are really the last few remnants of the Anthopolis era. And I think that was part of it, too. I think Mark Shapiro realized, if I really want to turn the page symbolically, i got to get rid of these three previously mercurial players. They yeah. may not be what they were anymore, but they will surprise people. And that's why, for me, my, my only regret in that decision is watching or going to a game... In June, and then seeing Troy Tulowitzki tee off for a three-run game-winning home run in the ninth inning. Ouch. And then realizing that we paid for it as fans, Ouch. that the organization bought it. Um,
0: I think Russell Martin will
1: always be cheered when he comes back to
0: Toronto, if and when he comes back. You know, whether it's, it's you know, 20 years from now when they get all the players from, sure. you know, 14 and 15, uh, you know, to come back. But he'll, he's, he's, he, he was never... Somebody who rubbed the media or the fans the wrong way. No, he was he was always accessible.
1: A loyal, a loyal, true soldier.
0: He did what was asked of him. He was
1: expected to be a captain. But I don't think he's really a very vocal captain. He's one of those guys who was hopeful to lead by example and people would follow.
0: And I think, and I think he did that. Well,
1: I think there were two segments to the Russell Martin Toronto relationship. There was the first half where he took them back to the playoffs for back-to-back years. And was part of that and then there was the second half where he was a complete shell of his former self and literally looked like a player who was getting ready to go out to pasture i mean you know you can't hit under 200 in this in this league and expect to be taken seriously you can't uh you can't be someone who can't be in the lineup consistently enough to make an impact and so again it goes into the management's uh, mentality of do we really want Russell Martin once a week So we can feel good that we have Russell Martin I think once the last two years Drifted by Both the fans and management realized you know At this point you're nothing more than a veteran trophy Someone that we can use for great PR And marketing purposes And neither the player nor the organization Would, would really benefit from that
0: And, and, and a Josh Donaldson, he came in He won an MVP He was uh, arguably the guy Those two years uh, For the Blue Jays um, and so I and I so I, I think you know he'll be applauded when he when he visits Toronto. But a Troy Tulowitzki who came as arguably somebody who had crafted an, a Hall of Fame career and yes he hit a home run in his first game as a Blue Jay, but didn't really seem to be the player that Blue Jays fans and baseball fans had seen uh, in Colorado how will he be remembered as a Blue Jay or how will Blue Jay fans remember him
1: there will be mixed feelings because of the nature of which he arrived I mean in the final analysis when you think about how he came to this city the circumstances which he never got over he never got over you could look back at interviews last year, whatever few there were, because he didn't even travel with the team or spend a lot of time with them while re- rehabilitating his injury. The Troy Tilowitzki era will be remembered as a real opportunity lost for a player because I think it cost him his chance at Cooperstown. I mean, unless he has an unbelievable renaissance with the Yankees or wherever he ends up over the next few years, I think that, uh, you know, he's very thrilled that he's got that contract. I mean, that'll put food on the table. But now we fully understand why Colorado traded him. Because this was a player who clearly could not be the player that we thought we were getting anymore. That the fan base expected to go out and be the Troy Tulowitzki who captured the imagination of National League parks and their own respective fans. And was regarded at one point as one of the top three players in the National League. But he underperformed. The injuries in some cases were self-inflicted. Freakish when he stepped on Crone's foot at first base and even more freaky when he backed into Kevin Pillar because for some inexplicable reason there was no communication between two of the allegedly most defensive oriented players on the team. Like it's it's so sad, isn't it? You know, there's a there's a sad black humor to it all, a dark, a dark uh, realization that um, that for Troy it didn't work out. For Blue Jays fans, yes, there was the 2015 and 2016 appearances, but there's no question that if properly motivated and healthy, all three of those players, Donaldson, Martin, and, and uh, Tulowitzki could have changed the complexion of the last two years as mm-hmm. well. I mean, when they were talking about intellectual exercises, which was the term that uh, Mark Shapiro used, the whole idea was, okay, if those three guys are at least reasonably healthy and producing, then we are going to compete. Sure. Because it's not that hard to get to 85, 87 wins and be a wild card team if you've got a good nucleus. Yeah. But the nucleus was broken almost as quickly as it was formed. Yeah. And you could argue that it was chipped away at, in many respects, the soul of it all. David Price not coming back. Edwin Encarnacion not coming back. Jose Bautista sadly, ignominiously fading away into obscurity, at least in Toronto. And then suddenly, those three wise men who remained, they didn't didn't want to be part of the preordained, almost baseball biblical outcome, which would have been, let's keep it going. We've got a window, and it's a scary thing, isn't it? When you feel you have a window, and then as quickly as it came to bring you euphoria, it disappears, it gets shut right on your fingers. The
0: door got slammed.
1: It didn't just get slammed, half the house crashed in. And now, instead of a $165 million house with exciting furniture and events, You've got a shotgun shack that's worth maybe ninety millions, which, from a baseball perspective, is peanuts for a world class city, right? What third, fourth largest market in North America for baseball? And and you and I looked at the starting lineup and at the pitching rotation, and it's absolutely laughable. It's laughable. I've never seen a combination of players with question marks next and, to them. And, we'll,
0: and we'll get to pitching. Could, it sure. could be
1: anything. It could be good. It could be bad. Like if you were to ask me, and you will at some point in this wonderful podcast, you're going to ask me, "What's your prediction?" How, I am don't I su- know. How am I supposed to give you yeah, yeah. an accurate prediction? Yeah. Based on what we have, that wouldn't be accurate because nope. they could easily overachieve. Yeah. But then they could also continue to be the slack jog yokels many of these players have been, and then you're going to have a blissful, you know, 35 games under 500, Baltimore Orioles Chris Davis reality. Anything's possible, although I don't think that would happen. That was pretty unique last year. Nobody will ever be as, as horrible as those Baltimore <laughs> Orioles were <laughs> in today's
0: As we speak, the Blue Jays are playing... The, the Brewers in Montreal, um, game two of, a, of a, the end of spring training. What's you, what your honest opinion about Major League Baseball returning to Montreal? Is, is there hope? Is it, will, will my children ever grow up to see the Expos again?
1: I'd love to think that one day that could happen if there's enough of, a, of an organized push on both the, the ownership consortium coming out of Montreal and an MLB. But I don't see it happening simply because it would have happened by now if it was meant to be, I feel. Because there was legitimate anger after 0304, when the Expos were literally ripped from the Canadian womb. I mean, this is one of two teams that started in 1969 and became part of the cultural mosaic. I mean, I I know many people who are Blue Jays fans and enthusiasts and work with the team, write about the team, and almost all of them are also Montreal Expos fans because they know their baseball, they know their history. And there's something endearing about those Montreal Expos memories because they really were indelible, especially for anyone who's old enough to remember the team that was taken away in 94 as, res- as a result of the baseball strike. I mean, that that should have been Montreal's World Series championship to contend for yep. and contend with. And and I do believe they would have won that year. And I do believe with the kind of players, the veritable all-star team they had there, it would have made for a nice storyline of Blue Jay success followed by Montreal. But But that's the challenge in history, right? If that had happened, could have, would have, should have, would have been a very different destiny for them. As a result, the team eventually got scaled down. The abominable Jeffrey Loria got involved and used chicanery, outright chicanery, to take away baseball from the good citizens of Quebec. And it's left a a deep wound, a scab, uh, never fully healed and, yeah. and I'd and I would love for the, I'd love there to be the baseball irony where forces come together and make it happen. Because I think culturally it's important. But I see there being a greater demand out of, say, Vancouver or, or, you know, what they're planning to do with expansion in various different parts of the U.S. Although I don't think baseball is very serious about expansion because I think the labor issue will be first and foremost what they'll need to deal with. Um, they, again, are making money, but their attendance is dropping. And that's a very, very scary combination. Like, when I start hearing that, when I hear Mm. about an organization as a whole, as a mass entity consisting of teams finding a way to still make a profit, but their players are getting paid less, and fans aren't coming out to see them, and fans are turning to minor league teams. Did you know that? That minor league attendance last year went up, but major league attendance went down. That, my friend, is a broken economies of scale. That requires both sides to have to sit down and figure out how to fix it and simply throwing a team in Montreal I don't think that would answer I mean do you realistically expect 35,000 to come out every game maybe in the beginning when the novelty is strong but these relationships whether it's in the NHL or in the NBA those leagues have to see that there's a covenant between the fan potential adoration and how that translates into money and from a business perspective there's definitely momentum growing there and I think this weekend or, or rather this this recent visit to Montreal would have been an opportunity to do that but it was just such a shabbily run hmm. uh, PR event that it, it didn't have any of the pathos from last year when Vladdy hit his home run walk off home oh, run yeah. and uh, not only that Vladdy's not here hell most of the Blue Jays aren't here a lot of them stayed behind this to me was one of those events that you tuned in only if you were a hardcore enthusiast I don't think a lay Blue Jays fan took the time to watch this that's th- a problem.
0: And, and this, this sort of go, oh, yeah, they're in Montreal. I
1: told you it, it, it didn't cross my radar. That's a problem. At all. That's a problem, especially when you've got a powerful media company that controls the message. So why wasn't there more And, I've, w- and I've
0: watched enough Raptors games on right. Rogers. Well,
1: it's it's. we've never been in a situation in Toronto where you have the hockey and basketball teams going into the playoffs with this level of interest and momentum. Honestly, this is so this is unique. But at the same token, baseball has never done a really great job of marketing itself nearly as well as those other two leagues. And it certainly helps when those other two leagues have teams in Toronto that went out and made ballsy, gutsy moves to create legitimate fan interest, right? Because in the absence of that, you end up with this, whatever this Blue Jays team is, this what I refer to it earlier, shotgun shack, you know? You just, it's like a safe house right now. You hope one day it'll be a mansion again and you can walk through and enjoy the playoffs, swimming pool. But for now, just come in and get some scraps and hope that there's a reason to cheer.
0: That is so true. Uh, listen, I, I don't know about you, Ari, but I, you know what, for me growing up with baseball, it was more the sounds of summer than anything else. And and there were two voices, obviously, to Tom and Jerry. Tom Cheek, Jerry Howarth. A number of years ago, we lost uh, Tom Cheek. Um, And this year, Jerry Howarth is not in the booth anymore. He retired. He called it uh, a career. Um, Two great men, two great voices. Um, Your thoughts on Jerry Howarth retiring and uh, Mike Wilner filling his spot?
1: Well, losing Jerry, I mean, we lost Tom... Because of circumstances that none of us could control, least of all Tom. Uh, not for his health, he probably could have just kept going. He loved the game so much. Everyone who knew him and everyone who attested to his nature and character could see that he added something special to the whole presentation of the Blue Jays. And Jerry, as his right-hand man, the the Robin to Batman, whom believe it or not, there was a there was a real pro-Jerry movement back in the day when there were arguments about who's better. I remember there were actually some fans who would argue who they preferred, and, and Jerry being the more esoteric voice, the more unique voice, uh, he would prevail sometimes, because they loved the way he analyzed the game, you know, especially with his nasally voice, and yeah. the way he approached it, and there she goes! Jose Bautista's done it again! I mean, it's uh, I'll never forget that, and, and so it is a shame to see him go. Uh, Mike Wilner, I mean... Mike Wilner is one of those voices that you either love or hate right off the hop, I find, in speaking with people. I've always enjoyed listening to him when he's relaxed and doing his Jay's talk thing. I still haven't, maybe it's because of how spoiled I was with Tom and Jerry that I've never really warmed up to him in the broadcast booth doing play-by-play or color or anything like that. So, I mean, you know, Ben Wagner has his work cut out for him and the whole Blue Jays broadcast staff has a lot of work to do this year to keep fan interest because it's... It's, it's going to be a long it's season. Gonna be a, baseball's a long season. Baseball's 162 games of, of never-ending diamond dreams. And when they become nightmares, those nightmares last for a long time. And I'm speaking to you as someone who can relate to what the last two years were all about.
0: Well, listen, when, when, uh, when things are going well, to, what do they say? Time flies when you're having fun?
1: And it's like a sliver right the 2015 playoff appearance is not like a sliver in time a wrinkle in time i don't know i think that was a movie or something 2015 and 2016 for and there were so many fans who came back to the game isn't that that's what's fascinating to me is the demographics really surged because of what happened because the old school blue jays fans like myself and yourself we got together on this and we loved what we were witnessing and people who got into them in the early 2000s loved the fact that they were finally seeing some competition. And, and those who just hopped on came at the, at, the, at the best possible time. And now there's like this shock to the system where we're all taking account of what happened and we realize it was gone just like that. Yeah. you got to savor those moments. And, and, of course, I remain adamant in my conclusion that the 2015 team should have won the World Series. That was the window for that team to take its mantle, and they blew it.
0: Well, that was then. This is now, Ari. So, let's talk about your 2019 Toronto Blue Jays. And let's start with let's start with our manager, Charlie Charlie Montoya. Who is he? What are you expecting from him? Is he is he the right guy for this team? And should we even be asking that because really what is this team?
1: I don't think the average person knows what this guy's all about. And you can I, I urge everyone who's listening to do their diligence and study what he's done as a coach for the tampa bay rays and also the kind of baseball pedigree he has because he's not that much younger than Gibby; they're, they're about the same age so it's not like he's a young coach he's a veteran uh, as, as a veteran teacher in this game i think what mark shapiro saw in him was an opportunity to bring someone fresh and new who had a lot who has a lot in common with the spanish-speaking players. Because, sadly, there are way too many players on this team who don't speak English. And that, that's a debatable point for people who expect Major League players to all have at least a cursory you know, knowledge of, uh, of where they're playing baseball. But at the same token, if you're going to have to communicate for people because of these differences, that's something Gibby didn't have. And I think that we'll see his value as a coach based on how he motivates these players to put in a good effort because that's what fans have been lacking for two straight years is a team that will fight even when they're down and that will find a way to close out baseball games by playing with baseball fundamentals. We haven't seen fundamentals around these parts in a long time. There were some ugly examples of it in 2016, and we glossed over it because we were too busy enjoying the endless cavalcade of uh, quality starts from pitchers and timely hitting from you know, guys like Donaldson. But this team now consists of a smattering of rookies in their starting lineup and a bunch of retreads and so, it'll be, and so it'll be up to Montoyo to see how he can motivate the young guys and the older guys on the team, because he's got a lot of 30-somethings. Mm-hmm. Where we will be able to, to see his value as a coach and why he was a, quote, good decision or just a, a, you know, a, a placeholder is whether or not he gets the most out of these players who understand that because of baseball economics being the way it is, they have to do well. That's the one thing I want Blue Jays fans to understand, mm. that even though the, cuff seems, the cup seems more than half empty and it'll be a while before this team can compete again, there is something to be said for being able to watch people in professional sports, athletes, who've got something to prove. Marcus has something to prove. Aaron has something to prove. You know, Tay needs to prove that he can do it. Randall, Kevin, all of these players, the McKinney's, the Drury's of the world, you know, you look at their starting rotation. Right now, because of the injury to Barucki and the fact that Buckholz might not be available, you're left with names like Shoemaker and Richard and the incredibly enigmatic Stroman and Sanchez. Again, I'm not saying everything has to go right, but if two-thirds of that can go reasonably well, then I'd be willing to at least concede that that's the Montoya effect. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see that.
0: Well, you, you talked about reclamation projects and you talked about the four players I wanted to talk about next. Um, so Buckholtz and shoemaker like I think baseball fans blue Jay fans recognize these names but you know they're coming to the Jays after you know 2018 season where things didn't go as expected
1: which is very much like their careers you know both Buckholtz and shoemaker were expected to be the players that they showed that they could be very early in their career Buckholtz had his equivalent of Marcus Stroman year of overachievement around the same time when he was 25 26 shoemaker finished second in rookie of the year voting and had 16 wins in his first year in the show so it's not like these guys don't know how to do it or might not be able to do it but the very fact that they're here at this stage in their career in their 30s with a team that's going nowhere but rebuilding creates an opportunity to do something under the radar You're not going to be on ESPN anytime soon, Blue Jays. But if these players can pitch reasonably well and play as a team and show a little bit of chemistry and, for God's sake, give me back some baseball fundamentals. (laughs) If I can get some of the fundamentals back in my baseball viewing experience, this is not going to be such a painful year.
0: Yeah. Is Aaron Sanchez a ERA leading pitcher? Uh, And is Marcus Stroman... I don't know like are are they have we seen how good these pictures are or or was their best that we've seen the best that we'll ever see
1: they're two very different pictures at the heart of it all but they share the same quest which is how to get back to respectability because no one's taking them seriously. I think the average baseball fan might take Sanchez more seriously because of the fact that he's had the kinds of injuries that seem to give him a pass. You know, blister problems are a legitimate issue. They're, these balls have been... I mean, that's a separate show to discuss the controversy over how the balls are wound now, but there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that if Aaron doesn't have blister problems, that he can show that he's not necessarily an ERA leader because my concern about Aaron is not unlike my concern with Marcus, Do these pitchers have the headspace and poise and temperament to deal with the challenge of pitching in the majors? Because they've shown too often that they don't. Even if you throw in the ERA year for Aaron and the great year a couple years ago that Marcus had when he expected that maybe the Blue Jays would give him a contract and instead they took him back to arbitration, there's no question that both men, as long as they can stay healthy, are truly the masters of their own destiny. But that means learning how to pitch in tight situations and getting out of it by not abandoning the stuff that got you there. Nothing frustrated me more about watching either player than seeing them get away from their bread-and-butter pitches when they'd get into tough situations. And some people would argue, well, that was Martin calling for a pitch and them not shaking him off. I think this year... Having a young guy like Danny Jansen and a backup like Luke Maley might give both pitchers a little bit more flexibility to go back to what they instinctively feel will get the hitter out. Because both men, when they're on, they're lights out, especially Aaron, you know, with his natural mechanics. But Marcus can be so cerebral and effective, and he can use his pitches so well, especially his cutter. I really hope, above all else, that it works out for them, because then at least... For fans, it'd be almost nostalgic. You'd be seeing two guys who were so important as cogs in the playoff wheel that maybe that nostalgia alone will make you feel good about baseball and life, knowing that they're still around and getting it done.
0: Outside of the pitches that we've mentioned, is there anyone in the bullpen or in the starting rotation that you can get excited about or that Jays fans should get excited about? Is outside, it Reed Foley?
1: Outside of the ones we mentioned? No, I... I um, it's interesting. I want to look away from the rook, rookies for a moment and, mm-hmm. and look at the extraordinary circumstances of Ken Giles coming here because I think he's going to end up surprising everyone. I could see him having one of those quiet randy myers years where his team doesn't do well but he's getting 45 50 saves because the fact is he's a mega talent he's got he's got a natural baseball heart but a two-cent head when it comes to making the right decisions and controlling his emotions and if he can control his emotions and focus on being a bona fide closer that would be the greatest thing that could happen during a rebuilding year because now you can trade him or have an arrangement with him where you could potentially sign him and trade him and get some value for that uh, you know for the young kids there's no question that ryan barucchi will be a factor hopefully his injury isn't something that's lingering but when it comes to pitching the blue jays they've got a long way to go and one of the reasons that mark shapiro stockpiled position players and position depth was specifically so that when the team would get better they could go out and start getting pitchers in the meantime he's adopted the classic honest eds approach to go to a garage sale and basically find players that nobody really wanted anymore i mean buck and shoemaker i can go ahead and romanticize them all i want the fact is no one else really wanted them because no. i can't see them picking the blue jays over another team that would have given them an offer down south so listen it's strange bad fellows. you know Athletes who expect that they should be making more money and think they're better in their own minds and organizations that devalue them to the point where they've got something to prove. One thing's for sure, it either ends really well for the player or really badly for the organization who tries to sell fans by saying, look, these guys can recover some of their former you know, magic that they had. Well, we need to see that. Look, it worked with Marco Estrada, and it worked with Jay Happ. So if Mark Shapiro can keep replicating that, this rebuild will go by a lot faster and suddenly tradable assets that you didn't think existed can be used to go after and get the kinds of players who are part of your
0: nucleus. Danny Jansen, future all-star catcher for the Jays?
1: Undoubtedly. Danny Jansen was someone that maybe two years ago was lower on the radar and rightly so because nobody was thinking about replacing Russell Martin and, uh, you know, we were happy to see him develop but now in my mind he's reached a point where what he showed last year and what he's showing for the Blue Jays now is that he's the kind of catcher you want to protect you know give Luke Maley 40 50 games whatever he needs to do in order to give him a rest but let Danny get the kind of experience because he's a great hitter he's a great contact hitter I'm most excited about him and Bo Bichette For the future of the blue jays because when i watch them hit they're cerebral hitters they actually have a game plan because i am sick and tired of the number of 30 40 walk 150 strikeout 100 150 strikeout players this team has no they have too many guys who just go up there close their eyes and swing the bat really hard if some of them can differentiate themselves by having a plan and using a rebuild year to show that they can be bona fide everyday starters because that's what the Blue Jays have right now is they've got a... It's like a, an audition. It's a glorified audition. It's a curtain call, ple- you know, to come in and, and keep showing the fans that you belong. The problem is many of them don't belong. But the opportunity in this great wildcard team is to just let it roll. See who stands up. Takes advantage of an opportunity. All right. So there's a bright light behind the plate. There has to be a bright light. <laughs> okay. Well, especially behind the plate. I yeah. mean, there's a... In Baruki and in Jansen and in Guerrero Jr., and in, in Bichette, and in Lourdes Guriel Jr., you've got like players you can get legitimately excited about. And I'll tell you something. I am excited at the preponderance of talent. But at the same token, you're supposed to have this preponderance of talent when you've basically spent the last two years wasting your fans' time. It's been a waste for them. They've been spending money hoping that you're competitive now, but you clearly are not capable of doing that. Those players I just named are the ones that will give you a reason to keep coming back and those are the ones we'll be watching more carefully than ever this year, along with the reclamation projects, to see if maybe they can get their shit together and start pushing towards a direction of respectability. Because until then, they'll be a laughingstock. And right now, whether you're a pundit or you're a fan looking at this lineup, as I said, it's it's borderline laughable.
0: Well, you mentioned Gurriel Jr. He's slated to play second base with, is it Freddie Glavis? At short? See, there's another example
1: once again, right? Freddie Glavis is a classic Mark Shapiro acquisition in the same mold as a a Ledmus Diaz, which is hilarious because I would have preferred a Ledmus Diaz over Freddie Glavis, to be honest with you. I saw something in Diaz that made me think, hey, this guy could continue along the trajectory and, and, and help usher in the next generation. Um, Yeah, Glavis will be called upon to do what Glavis does, which is have a little bit of pop here and there. He doesn't have a lot. I think he's only hit like 65 home runs for his career and well over 2,500 at-bats. Defensively, he once had a year where he had 17 errors. So, yeah, he could show you some promise defensively. But other than that, what you're hoping is that a Brandon Drury works out and that a Vlad Guerrero Jr. comes in and with Lewis Gurriel Jr. in place, maybe have him play shortstop. So I don't know. I don't know what Glavis will do, but anything you get from him that's above one war would be a bonus because right now a lot of these players like a Glavis, a McKinney, and a Drury, you're just hoping they show up and surprise you. And, and again, there's that light at the tunnel. There is a possibility that'll happen. This spring showed us that there are some players who've come to play this year. One of them is Teoscar Hernandez, who at this point is probably your fourth outfielder. But if he can continue to swing a disciplined bat and not strike out four thousand times, well, he
0: gave you ulcers last year.
1: They still haven't faded. <laughs> you know,
0: like he was one of those players that when he,
1: you know, he could he could smoke. He was, he was a monstrosity. But in, an, a, in, the, a baseball in, in
0: the field, it's like you wanted him to disappear.
1: Isn't it something when you see a player who struggles at the plate and then takes his struggles with him in the field, yeah. or vice versa? Could be, I don't know which came first chicken or the egg with with Hernandez I do know he lacks fundamentals and I'm hoping that Montoyo and the Blue Jays coaches can work with him and get him on the path of at least knowing what he's doing up at the plate and he's proven that this spring he had a marvelous spring he hit for average he hit for a little bit of actually I don't think he hit for as much power because he was cutting down the strikeouts and he did he did cut them down and to me that is how the Blue Jays can evolve as a baseball team is to Stop being wild swingers. Stop going up there without a clue in the world of what to do with, with ducks on the pond. Show a little bit of fundamentals. Put the Montoya touch. And I'd love for that to happen. They don't have to start 10-3, and 3, but if they start, let's say, 7-6, and 6, and they're winning baseball games because of hustle and unpredictability and surprise, and it's coming from unlikely sources, that will tickle fans. Pink and will create an opportunity to get some momentum in those summer months, which are going to be lean, mean, and empty seats everywhere. <laughs> Rowdy Teles—he had a—he had a surprising
0: back half of last year or back quarter of last year.
1: I'd like him to be the heir apparent to Justin Smoke. Yep. In a perfect world, he's a nice younger version. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he'll ever be necessarily. Starts, starts in uh, Buffalo yeah I, but given the injury situation he might be one of the front line call-ups he's such a great story he's been through so much mm-hmm. I'd like to see him I'd like to see him be part of a an infield that would be quite unique in having let's say Grill jr Bouchette teles Guerrero and Jansen like what I just listed to you is very fascinating because people who know baseball especially minor league enthusiasts of which I interview a lot and I know very well they'll say that's that's pretty damn good. That's looking forward to something the Blue Jays have never had, which is an infield that can grow together, right? Because that's how you win World Series championships the old way. You got a nucleus and they grew together. Yeah. But if we've learned one thing, as they grow, that's when you start making the personnel changes to win a championship, right? Those, those, level, yeah. those late 80s Blue Jays were a classic example. There was so much, so much talent, but something was missing to get them over the hump. You could argue it was a Roberto Alomar. You could argue it was a Joe Carter. You could argue it was uh, the the free agents in pitching. But in the end, they made sure they didn't disrupt the chemistry too much, that they kept a lot of the players there that transitioned on. It's going to be fascinating to see what the Blue Jays will do at the end of this year when they look at how these players have performed because they have to show improvement. You can't have the last two years that you've had and expect people to come out to see you in the future unless you give them a legitimate reason. And players like a Danny Jansen and a Ryan Barucki and a Bichette Guerrero Jr., Guerrero Jr., those are your legit reasons if they take steps forward, which they should.
0: Once upon a time, Devin Travis was one of those players that you could get excited about. When he came over from Detroit, um, I said, Detroit let him go? I mean, this guy was great in the field. Um, He got on base. Uh, But then he he seems to be breaking down. Like something's happening every year and and now he he walks into a bunch of bats?
1: There were ever a baseball curse, depending on how superstitious you are. That's the veritable definition of it. He's a cursed baseball player. It's a real damn crying shame because uh, I remember a few years ago I wrote several articles and one of them hit Google News and was trending where I wrote about how he reminded me of Kirby Puckett because there was something about his approach at the plate which seemed very old school. And I just love the symbolism with him. He represents the last vestige, the last trace of the Roy Halladay deal. If you look at his path to how he came to the Blue Jays, he was really the only thing you could look back at and say, hey, I'm absolutely thrilled that we got something out of what was arguably one of the worst trades in the history of this franchise. And uh, for a moment there, it looked like he could do it. I remember a couple years ago when he really got rolling he had a month and a half where he hit like 350 and you just loved his mechanics and approach to the game. And like you said, you can't stay healthy. And that's the great challenge in, in life, really, if you're going to be a professional athlete, is how you deal with that adversity. And he's, he's worked so hard, but I think it's the end of the road. I think even if he recovers and rehabs, the Blue Jays train has already passed him by. And I think the organization, I think they like him as a player and they will give him every opportunity. But I, it's sad to see the way it's ended for a player that had so much potential. Sometimes it happens, right? Rob Ducey stepped on a... Was it a shower sprinkler? Or I think he... he, No, he ran into a fence. And at the time that he was in spring training, it looked like he was going to make his breakthrough. So this is my way of knocking on wood (laughs) at this restaurant we're in when it comes to Vlad's oblique strain, which apparently he's recovering quite efficiently from.
0: Is, Is Dalton Pompey almost the same player... As Devin Travis, not that he's always getting injured and stuff, but it seems there was potential, and he he just hasn't connected the dots, it seems.
1: What a great story, too. Canadian, you know, from Mississauga, I think. And I could be wrong. We'll have to check that. We'll fact-check that later. But I'm pretty sure, as a Canadian boy, he was expected to be someone who could show up in baseball and show us all the qualities that were missing from the last few years. God knows, from the last decade. I mean, speed, unpredictability, uh, great defense, scrappy bat, and 1,500 injuries. I mean, what what can you do? How can can a player expect to ever succeed? And and here's the worst part, is that when Dalton started overcoming the injuries, it wore him down psychologically, and he started getting into a lot of arguments and issues with the organization, right? He was benched last year. Um, You can't blame him the man's been through hell. I really wish that the Blue Jays, rather than calling him up for a really miniature small cup of coffee, would have given him a good 100, 150 at-bats. See, that's what they should be doing with Anthony Alford. But Alford also got injured. You have to give players like that that you claim will be 1-5 day tool or are dynamic and athletic, you have to give them a chance to play. You can't put them on the spot and say, hey, you're up for two weeks, Kareem, and if you don't do a good job, I'm sending your ass back down to the minors. I think that Dalton and Anthony have been mismanaged between two front office groups the old Anthopolis regime and the Shapiro regime but sadly it looks like it's potentially the end of the road for both. I can't see them in the foreseeable futures. Uh, If you foreseeable future of the Blue Jays unless they can really show that they could still do it at the minor league level but I think it may be the end of the road for both especially when you consider the kinds of players that the Blue Jays want to give an opportunity to which are Randall, Grichuk and... uh, Billy McKinney, and then whatever's you know, coming down the line in the future. But for a team that's got a, an abundance of infielders, it'll be interesting to see what they do to reconcile their outfield picture. Let, let's, let's end this on a very positive note. I think this whole thing has been positive. I've been lamenting, but I've also been maintaining yeah. that there like is an, an opportunity. Like three... Well, so when you're at the bottom, Kareem, yes. I mean, you're only going to go you up, right? Go like up. You can't go anywhere. Well, you could, but... But you, listen, yeah.
0: Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Three... The, old, the Holy Trinity. The Holy... Isn't it? Aren't they? Yeah. I don't know if... if, if Well, obviously, Guerrero Jr. doesn't start with the Jays because he is, in air quotes, injured. Um, but Biggio and Bichette... Do you think all three of them end? Do you think they end the year with the Jays?
1: I think if you look at the way this organization does business and the economic philosophy yeah. of their president and GM, there's no reason to think that either will see the lineup this year. Wow. Specifically because they're expected to be part of their long, illustrious future. And there's your CBA loophole for you. Why would they want to lose a year of control? It's the same argument with, uh, with Vlad. I mean, in Bichette's case, it'll be interesting because I think he's going to be lights out this year. I think whatever magic he lost last year for half a season has come back, and I just love watching him. I love everything about him. I think I wouldn't be surprised in five years if he's got a Jeter-esque quality to him in this market mm. because he looks like the kind of player who understands how this game should be played and respected, yeah. more so than Vlad. Yeah. Vlad is raw power, torque. Raw talent. But, and raw talent, but Bichette, pound for pound. Mm. I say that tongue-in-cheek. I just fell into that, didn't I? (laughs) Pound for pound, Bichette, I think, has not nearly as quick a curve necessarily, but when he gets here, he'll stay here, and he'll show that he belongs. And Biggio as well. Calvin Biggio is a player that a lot of people, uh, you know, especially down south in the minor league system who evaluate talent are really excited about what he can do. I mean, the Blue Jays have their share of young players, but again, when you're major league product consists of minor league personnel how should we be surprised that any of these talents could overachieve i think it's disgraceful that a major league team is basically masquerading as a minor league team until such time that it feels it can declare it's a major league team yeah again. yeah and that's my only regret i don't like the way it's been handled but in keeping with your positive ending to the show <laughs> i will tell you that at no other year can i ever remember and this is coming from a guy who studied in the late 90s the value of what the shannon stewart sean green carlos delgado vernon wells roy halliday chris carpenter i mean i just named you six players of which two of them they lost early so don't get me started on that i hope that this year this nucleus of five or six players can be kept together because of the current cba in such a way that they will grow together and one day make us proud again to have a major league baseball team because i don't know if this year will be it
0: so if you were to handicap this year how do the 2019 jays end up
1: the 2019 jays will be absolutely pummeled by the red Sox and the yankees and the indians and the astros but the 2019 blue jays will also be very opportunistic with the kansas cities of the world and the baltimore's and the detroit Tigers, and they'll find a way to compete with teams in various stages of their own development and so i think i will not be surprised if they finished close to the record that they had last year if things go reasonably well with personnel development otherwise if you just project them based on the kind of curve of the players they have on their roster they'll be lucky to get 65 wins because because this is a tough league to play in And when you play against teams that are fundamentally better than you, not just fundamentally in talent, but fundamentally in baseball execution. Like, that's the one thing about baseball I do love, is that the fact that the mighty Yankees could come in and the Blue Jays could scrappy, you know, like a scrappy group of players find a way to come together and beat them occasionally. But most of the time they won't. And when they lose, I'll be watching to see what they learn and how they evolve. Because I have no problems with a 65-win, 100-plus-loss season as long as I see evolution. As long as I see a sense of moving forward, because the last two years have been thrown out the window. There's nothing really redeemable out of either of those years. Honestly, when you think back of those two years, what do you say you learned or that you feel grateful for? The answer is nothing. That's it. So this is the year. Hopefully that'll change so we can walk out of this. And regardless of whether it's 65, 75 or God forbid, even a 85 win season miracles happen who knows at least we want to look at the team and say they'll be better each year the same way that we looked at the toronto maple leafs and we said hey look at these young players they're just going to get better as they get older well the blue jays have good young players hopefully they'll get better as they get older and if they keep getting this nice support group that might be able to find a way to overachieve even half of them they'll surprise us this year i have no doubt
0: so every year the jays have come up with a hashtag there was come together there was love this team I can't remember what other ones they've they've uh, released. Plus,
1: Sechons, plus LMM shows, that was the French version of. You know, yeah. The more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> um, well, this
0: this year's this year's this year's hashtag is next year's twenty twenty.
1: I think it's that kind of t- tongue-in-cheek humor that'll save us this year because <laughs> we're Canadian. We have that earthy crossbreed of english and american humor and i think yeah 2020 will be better than 2019 but then again 2019 will be better than whatever last year was and that is the one indisputable fact i leave with the fans it can only get better all right it is a pleasure as always the pleasure was mine my friend enjoy how we morphed from previous years to this one good stuff